you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And I also want to invite you today, by the way, if this is your first or second time here, we've not been able to say welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, As we walked in, or as you walked in, you may or may not have seen, we've got our communion elements available for you to your right on the table over there. And so I want to invite you right now, if you happen to walk by and you forgot to grab that or didn't see that, please, it's okay. No awkwardness. Just get on up right now. Uh, You won't be alone. You can go over there and grab some elements, and we'll be partaking of that together here as we get prepared to close our our service here in just a, a little while. So go ahead and get up and get that. But as you do and as you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, I I just want to reflect because uh, just this past week, someone who's very special and dear to so many of us in this church, and many of us did not know this person directly, he passed away. And his name is Pastor Timothy Keller. He's a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in in New York City. And and he had uh, 20, I think it was like 28 years of faithful gospel ministry in one of the toughest places, I believe, on the planet to do ministry, and that's on the streets of New York City. And uh, we're not here to worship that man today or magnify that man or in, in any way, shape, or form, but we just want to reflect that, that we are so grateful that, that God gives his church faithful men and women that are needed in, in, in just such times to help us clearly see Jesus And I just want to let you know, as a pastor, your pastor here, this man has meant so much to me over the last several years, especially. If you pick up one of his books, read it from cover to cover, and then after you're done with that, I encourage you to pick up another book. He is just such a magnificent author and teacher, and the church uh, in the United States especially, but all over the world is is grieving, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. In fact, Tim Keller said this, I, I love this, one of his famous quotes is this, all death can now do to Christians is to make their lives infinitely better. All death can now do to Christians is to make their lives infinitely better. How can that be? It's because of the gospel. He brought us back to life so that even if we sleep, as we sleep in the Lord Jesus, as the apostle Paul referred to passing or death, he refers to it for believers in Christ as merely falling asleep because there is coming a day of hope. And and Pastor Keller did a marvelous job teaching the scriptures, but today in his spirit, he is in the presence of King Jesus. And because of that, I believe he actually understands the statement that he said even better than he, he understood it when he said it, that his life is infinitely better because he is with Jesus. And so we're so grateful for that. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if you ever want to pick up his writings or listen to him online, please do. He's, he was an excellent teacher and we're so grateful to God for his ministry. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 35. Acts 15, 1 through 35. Follow along as I read aloud and, and we're actually going to launch into a new series this morning, but we're going to continue today through the next chapter of Acts Acts 15 verse 1 says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. 
But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been some, uh, much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this, I will return, and I will build the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood." For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were at the Gentile, of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from among us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had, who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord that we will take a look at today. Praise be to God for his word. Amen. Now, I'm no mathematician. I'm no mathematician. I'm a 
I'm a guy who, who, who studies theology as best I can and, and seeks to apply it to, to all of life for myself first and foremost, but also for those closest to me and for all of us as a church family. Uh, I'm no mathematician. I know there are some mathematicians in here today that are probably going to have all kinds of critiques about what I'm going to share with you today, uh, but please, uh, please save the arrows, but if I'm totally off, please tell me. Sam, that, that means you, okay? Sam Castles. <laughs> that means many of you others as well. But how about this equation? We, we know that in an equation, something plus something else changes the result of that equation. I, I learned that in pre-algebra, and that's about as far as my math knowledge can take me here this morning. Something plus something else changes the value of that equation. And what we see here today is that there's a challenge to the church. Now, this is all taking place about... 10 years, 10 years after the, the earliest days that we've been reading about. And in fact, today, we're actually reaching the midway point of the book of Acts. You may feel like we're kind of going at a crawl here, but we are getting through the book of Acts. But the equation that the apostles and, and the early preachers of the gospel, the equation that they were expressing, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ was this. We believe that people are saved through the gospel plus nothing else. The gospel plus nothing else. You can't add something else to the gospel because if you do, then you've changed the whole value, the whole equation. You no longer have the gospel. And for the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at not just this passage, but we're going to be looking at several other passages of Scripture about how this equation, the gospel plus nothing had such a huge impact on the life of the early church and how it's had an impact on the church and God's people all throughout the world over the last 2,000 years. Because we believe, we stand on this truth that you cannot change the equation that God has set. If you add anything to the gospel, you no longer have the gospel. So we believe the equation that God has laid out is the equation that we want to hold to. It's this, the gospel plus nothing. That brings us to our big idea this morning. The gospel plus nothing saves us. The gospel plus nothing saves us. We see this moment, this moment in time at this council that's called together in Jerusalem, we almost get the idea this is kind of a big moment. Luke makes it a really big moment. He highlights it and he shows that there was a huge controversy. And praise be to God, the fruit that came out, the affirmation that came out, the decision that came out from this council is this. The gospel plus nothing saves us. Saved Paul saved Barnabas, saved Peter, saved James, saved you, saved me, and saves the ones that we're seeking to reach with the good news about Jesus. The gospel plus nothing, plus nothing saves us. And we'll see three movements in this story. It's not really a, an action-packed narrative, but, but really the center of what's going on here is, is this conversation, this debate this affirmation, and then finally this decision. And so we'll see three movements. First, we'll see the controversy in verses 1 through 5. We'll see the affirmation of the leaders of the church in verses 6 to 18. And then finally, we'll see the decision 
in verses 19 through 35. So let's, let's take a look at the, at the controversy here. When we think of this gospel plus, what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, we see that there's an argument that's, that's raised by those who, who have been coming down from Judea to go speak to the people who are convening at the, uh, at the church in Antioch. Now, this first argument that we're going to see in this controversy is the gospel plus argument. You could say it's the gospel plus religion argument. Verse 1, it says, some men came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. This is their equation. Salvation from sin and salvation from the judgment of God for your sins, it comes about through receiving the message of the gospel plus circumcision, plus circumcision. Now, that's an abbreviation of this argument. We see the argument furthered because we see down in verse 5 that when Paul and Barnabas, they go to Jerusalem, they're approached by a group, a party, a sect within the believers. It says that they are believers, verse 5, some believers who belong to the party or the sect or the group within the church of the Pharisees, they rose up and they said this, it is necessary It must happen that these Gentiles, that we must circumcise them and they add something else to order them to keep the law of Moses. So they had to be circumcised. The males had to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses, but they also must keep the law of Moses. This was the requirement for acceptance, for rightness, that they must meet the demands of the law and be circumcised for salvation. Now, you may be asking yourself, coming in here today, like, what in the world does this medical procedure of circumcision have to do with anything? Well, circumcision began when God gave a commandment to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I've chosen you. It goes all the way back to Genesis 15, 16, and 17. God told Abraham, he said, I'm choosing you. You and your family, of all the families in all the world, that you're going to be my special people. And through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Paul, in fact, as he looks back on that conversation that God God had with Abraham, he said God was actually proclaiming the good news of the gospel to Abraham beforehand. This was the good news. Abraham, the, the world is broken, the world is living under the curse of sin, but you, Abraham, are going to be my chosen man. And the sign, the outward sign in your body to show other people, right, and to be assigned to yourself that you are my chosen people, that I have blessed you, is that you're going to circumcise yourself and, and all the sons that come from you. This will be the visible sign in your bodies that I have done something to call you by my name and that you are mine. You are part of my family. So it's not just a medical procedure here. It's something that's really significant that shows the sign of who God's people were. And so these these guys are like, hey, you can't say that you belong to God's people if you don't go through this experience, if you don't go through this procedure, because it's not just enough of what's happened in the hearts of the Gentiles. They also must receive this right. So that's the gospel plus argument. The gospel plus this outward sign argument. The gospel is good, but it's not enough. You see, these guys, they weren't against Gentiles joining the community. They were against the Gentiles joining the community without also becoming Jews like themselves. 
But then we see the other side of this argument in the middle of this controversy. We see the gospel plus argument, but now we see from Paul and Barnabas the gospel plus nothing argument. Verse 3 says that these guys said, fine, we're, we're going down to Jerusalem. We're going to talk to the guys that were eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and of his teaching. We, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't need this, but they said, you know what? We're, we're not just going to rely upon our testimony. If you're not going to be convinced by us, let's go talk to these guys. So they went down. They passed through the churches on their way from Antioch to Jerusalem, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. The gospel plus Nothing. And what effect did it have on them? Their hearts were filled with joy as they heard this good news. But it says Paul and Barnabas, as they, as they confronted these guys, it says they had no small dissension. There was disunion. There was strife. Sometimes this word even refers to rioting or uprising or revolt. Paul and Barnabas aren't just sitting by and saying, hmm, maybe we should consider this. They stand up and say, no. No, we will not stand for you adding circumcision and obedience to the law to the equation here. We are committed to the gospel plus nothing. Paul and Barnabas, they rose up and they stood in opposition to this position of this party and this sect. They had a great debate. They disputed. They had controversy with these guys. They said, they cannot be right. We both can't be right. Friends, I want to tell you, sometimes it... Unity is threatened when something is added to the equation of God's word, okay? Now, we want to be people who are, are people of unity and love and charity. And Paul and Barnabas, though, realize at this moment, our unity is actually being threatened because there are those that are coming in here and seeking to add to the equation. And they say, if we do not stand up and fight against this false doctrine, then we're going to be completely splintered apart. Sometimes that's what it takes, friends. Sometimes it takes someone in love and care and concern for you and for me to stand up and say, you're believing a lie. You're adding something to the equation. Praise be to God for the courage of Paul and Barnabas to stand up. And so we see here's the controversy. And how are we going to summarize this controversy that's going on here as they go to this council in Jerusalem? It's, it's summarized this way. You're making salvation too easy. These guys are, are coming in here, these, these guys from the party of the Pharisees, and they're saying, you're making it too easy. What you're saying is that these Gentiles, although they might have lived all their lives worshiping pagan gods, the, the gods of the Greek and Roman pantheon, maybe they've been sacrificing to idols, and, and part of the rituals that these pagans would often do is they'd practice sexual immorality right there in their pagan temples. And they're saying, what you're telling me is that these guys can be brought in to God's family only by believing the good news about Jesus that's too easy. That's too easy. We're, we're the Jews. We're the people of Israel. We've been practicing circumcision for 2,000 years. We've had the law for over 1,000 years. And you're coming here, Paul and Barnabas, and telling these Gentiles all they must do is believe in Jesus and they could be saved. Paul and Barnabas, you're making it too easy. You're making salvation too easy. Again, the question for these guys wasn't whether Gentiles could be saved, but upon what basis? 
This gospel of, of grace through Jesus is good, but it's, it's not enough. The equation is incomplete. It's got to be the gospel plus circumcision, the gospel plus the law. To simply believe in Jesus is making it too easy. Maybe you've been here before. I, sometimes I get frustrated with people that make tasks that seem so complicated to me so easy. Uh, how, how many of you are, are handymen or, or women? Handymen or handy women? Do we have any in here? Because I need to get your hands because I need to call you up when I have need of help, right? Whether it's fixing my car or maybe fixing something in my house. I will say this, I'm actually very good at putting Ikea furniture together. But that's the extent of my building and handy capabilities, right? But I have these friends and, and it just amazes me. They've got all these tools and, and they look at a thing and I just think, that's going to take me a hundred years, to do that, and they say, yeah, I could probably get it done in about two or three hours, and, and they do. I remember there were some guys that came and helped us with moving, and, and, and well, some of you helped us with moving even into our house, and we have this refrigerator that was supposed to go into the downstairs basement, and it was too wide, and it's like, this isn't going to work, and I'm thinking, all right, well, we're just going to have to throw the refrigerator away. They're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. I got an idea for that. And just within a matter of a few minutes, they took the door off and all this stuff, took the door off the sliding door and fit it in there and we got it in the house and I'm thinking, that was way too easy. That was way too easy, right? But sometimes we get complicated or we make things complicated. That's what religion does, friends. Religion makes the good news about Jesus so much more complicated than God meant it to be. Now that doesn't mean that following Jesus is easy, but understanding how we can be made right with God, it's simple. It's a simple equation, friends. It's the gospel plus nothing. Religion makes salvation complicated. Circumcision and obedience to the law were gifts from God, but in the end, they couldn't do anything to save anybody. They couldn't save the Pharisees. They couldn't save this, this sect or this party of believers within the church community. They, they had a misunderstanding about what these things, these symbols even meant because there is no circumcision in the flesh that can change a human heart. In fact, in the Old Testament, God said, I don't want you just to circumcise the foreskins of your flesh, but I want you to circumcise your hearts. Let the, the hard, cold heart toward me just roll away so that you would love me with a soft heart. God said, the, the, the commands that I'm giving to you, there are many, but ultimately what I want from you is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You see, friends, what religion does, it complicates the equation, and it tempts us to believe that the gospel is not enough, but that we need the gospel plus something else. So then what happened? That was a good point right there, huh? <laughs> what happened then? Affirmation. Let's see how these leaders within the church, how they handled this controversy. First of all, we see Peter, and Peter is, he's, he's speaking to his very own experience. Just 10 years earlier, he encountered something just like this. God told through the Holy Spirit, Peter, I want you to go and visit a guy. He's a Gentile. In fact, he's a Roman soldier, but he's a man who fears me, and I want you to go to him as a Gentile, uncircumcised. He doesn't obey the law, but he loves me, and he fears me, and I want you to go to him, and I want you to proclaim the good news, and Peter was like, this sounds crazy, Lord. You know I'd never walk into Gentiles homes. I don't want to be defiled. I can't eat with them. They eat foods that I'm not supposed to eat. And God says, whatever I've called clean, don't call unclean. And so Peter went down there. 
And, and, and I love what verse 7 says. Peter appeals. He says, God made a choice among us that the Gentiles should be saved through my mouth. Do you see what Peter is saying here? He didn't say, one day I just woke up and I thought, man, this might be a good idea to go out and reach the Gentiles. It wasn't Peter's call. It wasn't his idea. He said God made the choice. Verse 18, it says that God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit just as he did for us. This is the gift when someone believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do you know what God does? He gives you the gift of his life through the Holy Spirit to come live inside you. I mean, for a Jew, that would be like, well, of course God is going to do that. I'm circumcised. Obey the law. But God says, no, I'm going to do this for Gentiles too. For the one who believes in my son, the gospel plus nothing, I will allow my spirit to live in them. And that was Peter's experience. He couldn't believe it. His, his jaw was on the floor. Here's Cornelius. And as he believed and received the good news about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt within Cornelius just like it had at the day of Pentecost. For all those Jews that were there in Jerusalem hearing the good news, of course, Jews are going to receive the Spirit, but now I've seen that God is making no distinction. No distinction. In fact, that's what he says in verse 9. So God made a choice that the Gentiles should hear the good news. God made a choice that he would give the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. And God made no distinction based upon ethnicity, based upon circumcision, or based upon keeping the law. And it says that God made the choice, no distinction, cleansing the hearts of the Gentiles by faith. The Gentiles, those who were non-Jews, were brought into the family of God through this simple equation that says the gospel plus nothing equals salvation. The gospel plus nothing equals salvation. And so Peter says then, brothers, this was our experience. This is what happened 10 years ago. It couldn't be any clearer. And so I, I got to warn you, brothers. I got to warn you, brothers, that in the middle of this controversy, we are at a crossroads here. He says, verse 10, he says, don't put God to the test by opposing his work. He was the one who initiated this. Peter is saying, don't test God. Don't tempt him. You're trying to trap him and catch him in a mistake. God, you, you know, you gave the spirit to the Gentiles, but did you forget that they should be uh, circumcised too? Did you forget that we got to give them the law? And Peter is saying, you guys, if you start asking Gentiles to do what God didn't even ask them to do, you're putting him to the test. Friends, those who preach another gospel than the gospel that we, than we have in the pages of Scripture passed on to us from the apostles, oh, let that be a warning. They're putting God to the test. That's why we care so much about accurately and clearly explaining the gospel of Jesus, Jesus Christ from the Scriptures. God forbid that anybody stand on this stage or in your small group or anywhere else and teach a gospel that puts God to the test well, what puts God to the test? When we add to his equation. It's the gospel plus nothing else that saves us. And so this truth comes out in verse 11. And this is the key verse, I believe. So if you've got your Bibles open, just take a look at this verse once again. Verse 11 says this, the key to the whole passage. And in fact, we see that this is the last time that Peter speaks. He says this in the entire book of Acts. We never get to, get to read his uh, words again. He says this, We believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. 
Now, this is interesting. He's not talking about the Gentiles. He's saying, we believe. We're not saved through circumcision. We, the Jews, are not saved through the keeping of the law. But just as God decided to show up and give the Gentiles salvation and the Holy Spirit, so it is true for us that we as Jews, the equation is the same for us as it was for them. We're saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, plus nothing else. What a mic drop for Peter, right? The last time we see in the book of Acts, he says this statement, and you can almost imagine Luke's like, that's it. There's nothing better that he could say after that. That's what I'm going to record right here. We'll be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, plus nothing, plus nothing, plus nothing. We will be saved just as they will. Then it moves on to Barnabas and Paul, and it says, and they they get up in verse 12, this has been our experience. God is saving the Gentiles by faith in the gospel, plus nothing. We've seen it all throughout uh, the the Asia Minor. We've seen it all throughout the the regions, the, the, the places of the Gentiles. We're preaching, and God is showing up. He's giving these people the Holy Spirit. He's doing signs and wonders in their midst, all because we're speaking a gospel that's a simple equation. The gospel plus nothing equals salvation. This, the proof is that the Spirit is showing up and doing mighty works. And so the James. Now we see that James is kind of the leader of the Jerusalem church. He's the elder brother of Jesus. And he says, hey, look, guys, we've heard from Peter. We've heard from Paul and Barnabas. But you know what? As I look at the Scriptures, as I look at the Old Testament, I see that all of these experiences agree with what God has said he would do. And he quotes Amos 9, verses 11 through 12. In the book of Amos, God is, is, is pronouncing judgment through the prophet that God's people have been sinning and he's going to judge them and send them into exile. But at the very end of the prophecy of Amos, he says, I want you to know, though, there's coming a day when I will restore the kingdom of David, when I will restore the people of Israel. And through that, I'm going to bring salvation to the Gentiles, to the whole world. God has a remnant of people he's chosen to be his, as James is explaining what Amos means, both of Israel and the nations. James is saying, God is, God, this has been God's plan since the beginning and through the prophets. Amos tells us this, the gospel plus nothing, the simple equation that we're affirming here today, it's the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel and to the nations God's hope isn't to call Gentiles to become proselytes to Judaism, but for a, for a fresh work that we're getting to see with our very eyes and hear with our very ears, and it's through no one else except through the grace of our Lord Jesus. This has been God's plan from the beginning, and that's the way we could summarize this affirmation. It's God's plan to save people by the gospel and nothing else. By the gospel and nothing else. The gospel plus nothing. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, they all agree this is God's idea and not ours. If we were left to our own religion, none of us would be saved. But God is a mighty Savior. And so in this moment, you see this controversy. You see all these arguments. But they remember, I remember what God said. And I've seen what God has done. It settles the argument for us. If you're a parent, you know what this is like, right? I've been there before. I've heard several of my kids, I won't name names here, you know, I don't want to embarrass them today, but several kids are in a, a certain room and you can hear them arguing with each other about what are the rules of the house? 
What are the, the guidelines for the home? What, is, what does mom and dad want us to do? And, and one is saying, well, I, they want us to do this. They told us this. The other is saying, no, that's not what they want us to do. They want us to do that. You're out of line with the rules of the house. Or no, 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 you're out of line with the rules of the house. And there's bickering back and forth. And all it takes is mom or dad to step in the room, right? And say, let me clarify this for you. This is what I said. Is it clear now? And the argument's over. The argument's over. Why? Because the one who has the right to speak about the way things are has stepped into the room. Friends, I love what the apostles and the leaders of the church did here. I praise be to God for it. This isn't men just men and women in a room just debating each other and, and those that outnumbered the others by vote went out. No, no, no. What these leaders are doing is affirming and saying, this is what God said. Therefore, this is what we believe and this is what we're going to practice. The gospel plus nothing saves us. The gospel plus nothing saves us. So what's the decision here? We see this in verses 19 to 35, and we won't spend a lot of time on this because they rehash a lot of what we've already read. But, but James says we, we shouldn't trouble the Gentiles who turn to God. We, we shouldn't trouble them. We shouldn't add to the equation to make them feel uncomfortable. I mean, think about it. As a grown man, well, I got to be circumcised. That makes me feel uncomfortable. What do you mean? I, I got to stop eating certain foods and start eating other foods. I, I got to start wearing clothes a certain way and, and doing certain practices. That, that, that makes me uh, uncomfortable, but I'm willing to do it if God wants me to. I believe many of them would have agreed, but, but James says, but we'd be adding burdens that God never intended them to bear. The equation is the gospel plus nothing saves us. Now, he does give them some requirements, as we see in verses 20 to 21. Now, in all likelihood, these requirements of, you know, uh, refraining from uh, things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, strangled and from blood. I love what Daryl Bach says. He says, this is likelihood, just a, a request to be faithful to the one true God. Stop. You can't worship the gods of the pagans. You can't go into idols' temples and practice all their sexual immorality and, and, and eat all their foods that they're sacrificing to idols right then and there. you got to stay loyal to Jesus. You can't add Jesus to your already pagan religion. So he's saying, stay away from that. Be faithful to the one true God. Be moral in worship and have sensitivity to those around you who are Jews that do believe that some of these things are really, really serious. But James in no way says we're adding to the gospel. It says, verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you Gentiles no greater burden than just be loyal to Jesus. Why? Because the gospel plus nothing saves us. And I love verse 31. As that letter that we looked at earlier, that letter is read out loud to the Gentiles. What's their response? Confusion? frustration? No. Verse 31 says that when they read it to the church at Antioch, after they went back to Jer from Jerusalem, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoiced. Praise be to God that God, what he said in his gospel is true. The equation is simple, that we are acceptable before God. We're made right before him through the gospel plus nothing else. You see, the gospel, this message, this equation that we're committed to, that we see in Acts chapter 15, the gospel plus nothing, it stirs up joy. It stirs up worship. 
It stirs up celebration. That's what we've been doing this morning. He brought me back to life. Be through the gospel plus nothing. It stirs up joy and celebration because it centered salvation on the Savior. See, that's why the gospel plus religion makes us miserable. Because it takes the focus off the Savior and it makes us the Savior. Friend, I don't know about you, but I get really discouraged when I think about how I'm living up to my own expectations or how I'm living up to the expectations of others. Am I meeting the standard or am I falling short of the standard? And in that moment, I'm gripped with all kinds of burdens and frustrations and fears and anxieties and even temptations to depression. Why? Because I've got the eyes of my heart and my mind fixed on me and not fixed on the Savior. But the equation of the gospel, that the gospel plus nothing saves us, takes our eyes off of ourselves and places our eyes on our beautiful Savior who was perfectly righteous, who was perfectly good, who perfectly bore the sacrifice and punishment that I deserve for my sins and for your sins. And that simple equation, that the gospel plus nothing, sets us free and gives us joy and gives us hope. i never forget, as I was heading into my 30th and 40th birthdays, uh, two different seasons, you know, and I, I don't want to say that it was turning 30 and turning 40 that was bumming me out, but I, I just remember I was going through a tough season, and I'll never forget one of the greatest gifts that I've ever received. My, my mom reached out to, no, excuse me, my mom, my wife, excuse me, my wife, Laura, my mom, my mom loves me too, and she does nice things for me too. My, my wife, Laura, she just did a beautiful thing for me. She reached out to some of my closest friends and some of those mentors that I've never been able to meet before, people that I respected. And she said, you know what, my, my husband is getting ready to reach a big milestone. Would you just write him a note of encouragement? And she reached out to these people. She called their uh, uh, administrative assistants and whatnot. And they said, I've got this crazy idea. Do you think so-and-so would be willing to, to do this for my husband? And they were like, we've never got a request like that. Let me ask. And sure enough, she gave me as a birthday gift a whole book filled with encouraging letters. It was so powerful to me. You know why? Because in that moment, I, I realized that these people, they weren't pointing me to say, Matthew, you're doing a great job. You're going to make it because you're okay. They said, Matthew, as you approach this milestone, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And it brought so much encouragement to my heart. You know what I do when I start feeling down and bummed out? I, I open that from time to time, and I just read those letters again. Oh, the letters of encouragement. Friends, it's, it's that simple equation. That simple equation that the gospel plus nothing equals salvation is the hope that brings us joy and life and encouragement. Why? Because God has made it absolutely clear that the gospel plus nothing saves us. The gospel plus nothing saves us. Acts 15, 11, again, it's the key verse to all of this. Peter, in a, in a mic drop, the last thing he says in all the book of Acts, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. The gospel plus nothing. Today, are, are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Think about your Christian walk. As you evaluate your, your Christian walk today, as you evaluate your devotion to Jesus, you know, think about this last week. What, what are the moments where you feel like you were really committed to Jesus and those moments where you feel weak in your commitment? As you think about that and reflect upon that, how does it make you feel? Now, 
I'm a pastor, right? Pastors are supposed to be these righteous guys, right? I have to tell you, friends, when I look back on my week, it bums me out. It discourages me. And so I'm telling you here today, as someone who's communicating Scripture today and proclaiming it today, I I need this truth as much as anybody. The simple equation that, that can give us joy and hope. Because when I add to the equation, when I add my, my religious duties and my, I add my, you know, my devotional times and, you know, was I faithful? How much time did I spend? How many chapters did I read? Did I actually share the faith with someone that needed to hear it this week? Uh, did I raise my hands high enough in worship? Did I love and, and, and help with the dishes around the house enough this week? I didn't do it nearly enough, by the way, friends. But, you know, we add up all these things, these, these lists of duties and, 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 and practices that we feel we ought to do. And if we focus on our failures or achievements, it could bum us out. But the simple, simple equation of the gospel is this, the gospel plus nothing, eyes fixed on Jesus, it equals salvation, and it brings joy, and it brings life. So what does this mean for Monday? And in honor of uh, our great mentor, and, and man who just passed away a couple of days ago, I want to commend to you a book that he wrote, perhaps his most famous, called The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. Have anybody in here read it before? The Reason for God by Timothy Keller? Yeah, there's some hands here that have been impacted by this book. And he has this whole chapter on, on religion and this, this idea that, that religion either draws me in because it feeds my self-righteousness or it pushes me away because I'm disgusted by how people can live so self-righteously. But He's got some great quotes that I just want to share with you today as we think about what does this mean for Monday, this simple equation, the gospel plus nothing saves us. He says this, all other major faith, faiths have founders who are teachers that show the way to salvation. You think about all the other major faith religions in the world, they're good teachers, these leaders, these founders of these religions, but they all explain the way to salvation. But the gospel Revealed in Scripture says this, only Jesus claimed to actually be the way of salvation himself. You see, the gospel plus nothing saves us. He goes on in, on this chapter in religion. He says there's two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. The first way is to say, I don't need Jesus at all. This is the irreligious way. It says, I'm God. I'm going to live how I want right? But there's also another way that might be a little bit more sinister and devious. It says that I don't, I don't need Jesus that much. I'll just keep all the rules. I'll just be really religious, and I'll find righteousness in myself. Friends, this is just sometimes religious people can need Jesus just as much as irreligious people If I look around this room, I I think, hey, you're at church on a Sunday morning on a beautiful day outside. You made the choice to be here today. Oh, if there's anybody that's religious, it could be the people in this room. Friends, this, this, this moment right here sitting in this room could be the very thing that is keeping us from Jesus. Why are you here today? You see, it's possible to avoid Jesus as Savior as much by keeping all the biblical rules as by breaking them. You see, this is a reflection of the gospel plus religion people. 
He says not just the irreligious people, the people that are sleeping around and dealing drugs and murderers and liars and thieves and, and all these people all over the world that are far from God. It could be the very people that are sitting in this room today. If you come here today because you believe that it's your religious duty and somehow it's making you right before God, it could keep you far, far from Jesus because you're not focusing on him. You're focusing on yourself. You see, religion operates on the principle that Keller writes, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. But the operating principle of the gospel is this, I'm accepted by God, the gospel plus nothing, through what Christ has done, therefore I obey. I'm accepted by God through what Christ has done, therefore I obey. Now, two people living their lives either by the gospel plus me, that gospel plus something, or, or the gospel plus nothing, their lives can look so similar. We can have people in our small groups and their, their lives look similar. They, they both pray, they both give, they both read their Bibles, they're loyal to their family, they're loyal to their church, they're decent people. But what's the difference between the, the gospel plus religion, the gospel plus focus on me, plus the, or the gospel plus nothing? The gospel of Jesus alone. Well, the first person, uh, well, I'm sorry, both of these uh, can be identified in, in motivation. You see, the, motiva- the motives of your heart. Why do you do what you do? Why are you even sitting here today? Why do you, why do you make a commitment to join small group? Why do you serve on, this, on the setup team? Ask yourself, what's the motivation? You see, a gospel plus nothing person, they do it from a place of gratitude. A place of gratitude. A gospel plus religion person, a person who who adds to the equation, they do it and they say, I'm doing it because of fear of rejection. I do it out of a desire to please. I have to become my own savior. I have to try harder, try harder, try harder. I just spoke with someone this week. My heart was broken for this person. They expressed, I'm just feeling to the point where I'm getting angry with God because I try and I try and I try and I try and I don't feel like God loves me any longer. And my heart was broken for this person because I could see the weight of living under the complicated equation of gospel plus religion. And all we do with folks like that is say, don't forget that the gospel plus nothing saves us. What's your motivation today? Why do you serve? Why do you sing? Why do you pray? Why do you, why do you uh, read your Bibles, pray, give, all these things? Why do you do, want to do a good job at work? Is it so that people would look at you? Or is it so that people would see the goodness of Jesus, the gospel plus nothing? Not only is it our motivation, but it's also our identity, how we regard ourselves You see, living up to your own standard as your own God, you you begin to feel superior over others. But the Christian gospel, the gospel plus nothing equation says this, I'm so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. Friends, Jesus was glad to die for you. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to do all the right things. You don't have to vote the right way to, be ple- uh, to find yourself being pleased with by God. He says, I'm pleased with you if you're in my son plus nothing. The gospel plus nothing equals salvation. This kind of equation, this simple equation, it leads to deep humility, deep confidence at the same time. Keller writes this, a Christian's worth and value are not created by excluding anyone but through the Lord who was excluded 
for you and for me. His grace, grace both humbles me and you more deeply than any religion can, yet it also affirms me more powerfully than religion ever could. What does that look like? What does that look like? What's your motivation? Where are you finding your identity? And this is the issue. To, to whom am I looking? To whom am I looking? And if we want to listen to Peter's last words, in Acts 15, 11, it says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus alone. The gospel plus nothing. We're going to take communion right now, and I want to invite the, the band up as get, we get ready to close. And, and you may be here today and maybe asking yourself, how do I know if I'm living according to the simple equation or am I living to the equation that mixes religion? I just want to ask you, when was the last time you just simply fixed your eyes on Jesus? That, that's the reason why we do communion. You know this, right? The night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he was with his disciples and he said, I want you to take this bread, which represents my body, and I want you to take this cup, which represents the blood I will shed for you. And as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come back. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want to let you know today, if, if you're new here and you're going to partake with us, I want to tell you something. This, this wafer and this juice provides no spiritual benefit to you. Because if we believe that, we'd be adding to the equation. The gospel plus taking communion equals salvation. But we are committed today to say the gospel plus nothing saves us. And so what's your motivation for taking this today? What's your motivation? Before you even take it, just you can even bow your heads and close your eyes right now and just reflect before God. What's my motivation? Am I doing this out of duty or am I doing this because the work has been done on behalf of me by my Savior, Jesus Christ? What's your motivation today? I hope it's the gospel plus nothing. Your eyes fixed on Jesus. If you don't feel good enough today, look to his goodness. If you don't feel righteous enough today, look to his righteousness. If you feel like your sin is too much to overcome, look to his sacrifice. If you feel hopeless, look to him for hope. If you've been trying to create peace in your life through hard work and duty and religion, oh, look to him. He is the prince of peace. He's the author of life. It's not just irreligious people that, that need to hear this truth. It's sometimes the religious people that we can be adding to the equation of the gospel. So I want to give you a moment just to reflect on Jesus before we partake together. Remember that he is the one and him alone through the gospel that saves us. Take a few moments and talk to him. Confess your religion to him and tell him, I want to return to the simple equation of the gospel plus nothing. I'll give you a few moments to do that.